Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm Peter Hart, and today, for a special change, this will startle our regular listeners, for a very special treat, something that you all look forward to, I've got... Gary Bain. Hello, Pete. What's that stain on the carpet? That's where I spilt the coffee. We're not mentioning that on the on the one in a million chance that Polly should listen to this. All right, that's a really bad stain. That it is. is pretty bad stain. That it's sort of multifaceted. Mm. Um, right. Uh, well, thank, uh, thanks to Polly podcast, and uh, we'd like to mention our friend Old Grey. Old Grey, what? Old Grey Horror. Yeah, he's done an album all about the Great War. It's called The Tower. Dun, dun, dun. Look it up on Spotify and perhaps buy a copy of him. Uh, uh, it's good to, uh, it's always good to hear from our chums on, uh, on, uh, on social media. And, uh, he's been very supportive, hasn't he, Mr. Horror? He has been very supportive. You looked up his real name, didn't you? No, he emailed me. I can't remember what it is, though. Oh, you so let's just spell everything you've done. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Well, what are we do today? Well, uh, it's just purely capitalism today, isn't it? We, it's laugh we, or we're, cry. We're, we're abandoning our socialist principles and we're going for the throat, aren't we? It's yet another attempt to try and persuade the listeners to buy our book. Bastards. Laugh or cry. Well, no, we, no, have sold, laugh or cry. we have sold three or four copies, we have. It is available still at a, an exorbitant price on Amazon. Yeah, I thought they'd have remained it by now. Our whole business model, dear listener, was based on it being remained it after three weeks. We'd buy a thousand of them for a pound each and flog them to you lot for a tenner. Well, it's not worked out like that, has it, Gary? No, no. So, let's get on with the podcast, otherwise people will have all turned off by now. Well, what's the actual title of the podcast? Laugh or Cry, Advance to Victory, 1918. So, it's sort of flogging a dead horse, is it? Well, this is, this is no, this is bringing everything together naturally to a conclusion. Right. Uh, well, let's, let's look at the situation in 1918. Uh, there's a couple of things happened. What would one of them be? What, what happened at the back end of 17 that might have impacted on the war, can you think? Oh, you're talking about the collapse of the Russians, presumably. Yeah. And what did that mean? Well, it meant that the Germans could launch a series of stunning attacks on the Western Front in the spring offensives. Ooh. And, uh, oh, what was that? Ding <laughs> bong. 
was Alexa, obviously enjoying this. <laughs> and and um, it, it's sort of the, the Germans' last uh, their, their last chance of winning the war before something else happens. What's that, Gary? We've been through this before. The arrival of the Naffy Wagon. No, the arrival of the massed hordes of Americans. <laughs> who had joined the Allies in April uh, 1917, uh, but they wouldn't be able to mobilise significant numbers of troops until the summer of 1918. So there's this gap. There's this little... And the logistics, of course. They needed the equipment. They used French equipment, British equipment. They were not equipped for the war at that time. But they would be in in the summer of 18. So, yeah, this is the Germans' last chance, if it was a chance, but it was certainly... So it must have been a huge secret what was going on. Oh, well, not really. Everybody knew what was happening. Well, the British certainly knew they were going to attack, didn't they? And and this is, I mean, one of your favourite plays, because you're a sentimental old toodly, what's one of your favourite plays that brilliantly summarised all of this? What what it was like for the British in their lines uh, the, 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 on the Somme, where they'd worked out the attack would be? And uh, what what uh, what's your favourite play? Well, uh, I'm assuming you mean Journey's End by R.C. Sheriff. Which we've gone to see in in Apes, not you and I, but myself and Janet and our good friend James Thompson will never hear this. Uh, And we went to see... And Paul, didn't didn't Paul go? Uh, I'm not sure, yeah, I think Paul did go. Lovely Paul Hildyard. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's the film. It's the film. Well, it's a, a film, film. It's a book. It's everything. It's R.C. Sheriff's masterpiece, Journey's End. Uh, um, anyway, uh, they're, they're waiting in their trenches, as so brilliantly depicted in that uh, play. Uh, but not everybody takes it entirely seriously, do they? No, and this is Sergeant Oliver Bailey of the 1st 13th London Regiment, who are they? Uh, the Kensington Battalion. I knew that, I knew that. And you're going to tell us what he says. The following situation report is quoted. It was sent in Morse in the usual manner to Battalion Headquarters by Captain F.W. Heath, MC, Commanding C Company, where it caused much amusement. Needless to say, it was not forwarded officially to Brigade. C Company situation report, 9th of the 2nd, 1918. There is nothing I can tell you that you really do not know, except we are on a, on the ridge and Fritz is down below. When old, when's old Fritz coming over? Does the general really know? The colonel seems to think so. The captain tells us no. When's someone going to tell us we can stand to as before? An hour at dawn and one at dusk. Go blow me! Who wants more? Because they're on the permanent qui vive, as you often say in French. Now, when the Germans struck, those in the front lines were killed or rendered almost helpless by the power of the bombardment. And this is what Captain Sparks of the 1st 14th London Regiment, that's the London Scottish, so he'll have a London accent, uh, and this is what he says. I am faced with this position. I have collected all bombs and small arms ammunition from casualties. Everyone has been used. I am faced with three alternatives. A. To stay here with such of my men as are alive and be killed. B. To surrender to the enemy. C. To withdraw such of my men as I can 
Either of these first two alternatives is distasteful to me. I propose to adopt the latter. Very sensible. He's going to withdraw and live to fight another day. That's what we've talked about this uh, a lot. Uh, how 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 there needs to be maturity. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, now, did did they all get away? No, many were surrounded and taken prisoner. The shattered remnants fell back as best they could, really. Now, as some of the infantry retreated, they had practical considerations in mind. The abandoned stores and canteens that they passed en route were a lure many could not resist. And this is 2nd Lieutenant Frank Warren of the 17th King's Royal Rifle Corps. Here we see the British Tommy at his irrepressible best. Tired and worn, he pauses for a rest. Some bright spirit lights upon a quartermaster's store filled with all manner of change of raiment. He means clothes, doesn't he? He does. Very posh. Lo, the Bosch are about 2,000 yards away and coming on fast. But Tommy strips himself stark naked and shouts with glee as he dons clean vest, shirt, pants, socks and what not. One man has an armful of clean towels which he doles out to every man that passes. I gladly accept the offer of a pair of new socks and a boon they prove, for my feet are already blistered and painful. And I love that idea. And uh, what do you think they did to the alcohol in the, <laughs> the nappy stores? Oh, rubbed it, rubbed down their legs and things, you know, yeah, where they to, were aching. To ease the yeah. pain. Now, the canteens also contained, as you say, <laughs> copious amounts of alcohol, which added a temptation that across the ages the British soldier has rarely resisted. Did you used to resist alcohol? I, I resisted for a minute or two. <laughs> and this is Private Edward Williamson. Breaking of the 17th, strain of a Kit Kat. <laughs> yes, 17th Royal Scots. What does he say? The column suddenly came upon scattered units of the famous 51st Highland Division in groups of 10 or 12 with walking wounded among them. Very battle-stained, but in high humour, for they had evidently helped themselves to abandoned YMCA stores. They carried in their arms a varied assortment of articles. Shirts, socks, pants, bottles of wine, tins of beer, cases of whiskey, boxes of cigarettes and cigars. The officers were not immune either. Some of the Scots had drunk too much and gave voice to their favourite ditties as they ambled or staggered by. From their unwashed, weary faces and bedraggled kilts, it was obvious to our curious gaze that continuous fighting and lack of sleep had taken their toll. Hence, no one could begrudge them this demonstration of elation now that tension was relaxed as they streamed down the hill from the vicinity of Hardacore. Andy Swanson held a tall, lean Highlander who carried a Lewis gun over his left shoulder and a pile of cigarette tins under his right arm with a fancy shawl under his tin hat, which added a comic touch. Where's the auction, Mac? The Scot relieved himself of the gun for a moment and jerked his thumb over his shoulder. Yon Storman told us to help ourselves before they fired the canteen. And we couldn't leave this loot to the bastard Germans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Perfect, then. Spot on. Uh, when the Germans uh, broke through, there's, there's quite a lot of panic in their rear areas, as you'd expect. Uh, this is part of the this myth of the uh, myth and reality of the German stormtroopers. They, they've got a bit of a reputation for infiltration skills and the rest of it, uh, and it's it's enhanced by rumor, isn't it? it what, what would you say? Yes. 
Thank you for helping me out on that. That's all right. Though. And uh, th- this is what Major Neil Fraser Teitler uh, of the 150th Brigade Royal Field Artillery, one of our favourites throughout the series, and this is what he says. Huns, disguised as British officers on motorcycles, had got through into the back areas. They caused one or two serious panics by ordering villagers to clear out at once, shouting that the Hun cavalry was at hand. As may be imagined, when one once a mass of motor lorries start stampeding down a road, it's not the easiest matter in the world to check them, especially when the darkness is such that it may be felt. So, at several crossroads, we posted piquets. Pickets? Pickets. Yeah. Um, um, some staff officer asked one of my pickets what orders I had given them. The NCO replied, The Major said we were just to sue everybody making alarm or spreading despondency, and most particularly to shoot officers. Well, they often spread despondency, don't they? Did, did your officers spread despondency? Mm, we'll leave it there. Uh, now, during the chaos, there were also telling examples of the supposed national characteristics of both British soldiers and their Australian comrades. <laughs> mm. And this is what driver Roland Luther of C Battery, 96, 92nd Brigade Royal Field Artillery, said. We found a girls' high school with beautiful beds, girls' clothes, wigs, paint and powder. A number of the men were putting on wigs, trying on the clothes, lying on the beds in their filthy, lousy clothes and enjoying every minute of it. All at once, an Australian officer, who was drunk, dropped in on us. He shouted, Have you gone stark staring mad? Do you know that the Germans are only a quarter of a mile away in full force? Or are you just playing about, forgetting that there is a war on? So saying, he fell, dead drunk to the floor, and was collected by his servant. <laughs> I think that the, the, the British dressing in drag and the Australians pissed out their heads just about sums up every cliche you could imagine there. Now, perhaps the underlying spirit and sense of the ridiculous possessed by the British soldier is exemplified by this anecdote. And this is G.E. Morris, Royal Fusiliers. Now, why didn't we put his name? It's quite a common name, and there are a lot of people in the Royal Fusiliers. Yeah, we couldn't track him down. Uh, this well, this will be a story from uh, the Cockley War stories that we we normally we could find the names, but we couldn't find him. Anyway, he says this: Little Ginger was the life and soul of our platoon until he was wounded on the Somme in 1918. As he was carried off to the dressing station, he waved his arm feebly over the side of the stretcher and whispered, "Don't tell Haig." He'd worry something shocking. And that, I just love that idea of don't tell Egg. <laughs> he'd no, be all he'd over. Had, he'd had enough bad news. <laughs> now, when David Rory was captured, he underwent the usual interrogation, which gave him a wonderful story to regale captive audiences long after the war. Yeah, a lot of these stories are like this. And he was a colonel uh, in the 1st, 2nd Highland Field Ambulance, REMC. More perfunctory questioning and we were conducted to what was possibly Corps Headquarters, and then to the Office of the Intelligence Department, where a long wait ensued, fortunately beside a nice stove. Then came the real questioning, and for this we were taken separately, I suppose to see if our answers tallied. The questions were put abruptly, not to say roughly, but there was no real impoliteness. Of course, every attempt was made to extract information, but on our denial, there was no exhibition of frightfulness. 
Some amusement was caused by my refusal to give division, brigade, brigadier's name, etc., seeing that that information was plastered over my uniform and helmet. When I refused the name of my brigadier, I was told, he is Pelham Burn and he goes on leave next week. They knew more than I did. Excellent. Now, the, the the whole point about this is the Americans are coming. It, it, it's a race against... And they would make all the difference, providing a vast reservoir of manpower, inexperienced in Western Front warfare, but eager and able to learn. Yeah, there's sometimes too much, uh, not enough credit given to the speed with which the Americans learn things. Uh, they are brash, Um well, British are arrogant, the Americans are brash. You pays your money, it takes your choice, don't you? Uh, yeah, and certainly British and Americans were two nations divided by a common language. <laughs> uh, some officers tried their best to cement the alliance in traditional fashion. Yes. <laughs> what can this mean? <laughs> well, we're going to find out, because Captain Charles Potter of the 2nd 6th Lancashire, Fuse Lancashire Fusiliers right. tells us. Yeah. <laughs> Generic Northern. <laughs> Aye, working class lad. Aye, on arrival at mess, three good pegs were poured out and a suspicion of soda water added to each. The American drank with relish, settled down his glass and exclaimed, Gee, but it sure is fine stuff. To which one of our hosts replied, at the same time showing him the bowl, I forgot what accent I took. <laughs> yes, it's Haig. And Haig, Sir Douglas Haig's firm, you know. <laughs> this brought the surprising rejoinder from the American. My, you don't say. Reckon I always allowed he was some soldier, but I did not know he ran a saloon. That was dreadful. Yeah, we're going to get complaints. Bugger them. Now, at the front, the Australians tried their best to teach the Americans. What, language, what, what country? The Australians tried their best to teach the Americans attached to them. There was a lot to learn, and a lot of men had died learning yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is 2nd Lieutenant George Mitchell of the 48th Australian Battalion. He was one of your favourites, wasn't he, from the book? Some Yank officers had come up. I took one in hand and we walked to the right, where the higher land overlooked the Somme Valley. He was worried. I don't know when to duck, Aussie. Is he American as well or Australian? I'm just the Australians mid- relating the story. Oh, right. <laughs> You'll learn, I told him. Just then came the fearsome stock whip sound of a machine gun. The noise is terrific, but by some trick of sound, one is never under fire from that gun so heard. The yank was on his tummy. You don't get down for those, I yelled above the din. He got up with a puzzled expression. We walked on for a while, outlined stark on the skyline. There came the soft hiss of bullets close round us, each making less noise than a big mosquito. I got into a shell hole and looked up to see the Yank still standing and gazing around. Come in, America, I said. If you want to see much more of the war, this is where you get the, where you do get down. He got in. It sure has me beat how you work it out. When the machine gunner's attention was turned elsewhere, we strolled on with horrible suddenness. A whiz-bang arrived from the left and made a fan of flame on the bank below us. We both dropped and crawled into a handy length of trench. More shells came as we crouched, the hot breath of the smoke rolling over us. There didn't seem any doubt about that lot, said the Yank. No, I replied. Your instincts were sound that time. Yep, and overall, that sums it up. The the Americans uh, learned fast. And now, 
While we think about it, we'll show that we learn slowly by having a short break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. With the Americans on side, the counterattacks began in July 1918. It began a series of battles which forced the Germans back. Every one of the Allied nations played a crucial part. Yeah, and particularly the French. We often, I mean, we often talk about the Hundred Days, but this, this is a French offensive we're talking about here, with everybody else pitching in. The tide of war was turning, though, but there was still the same dark humour, never better expressed than by an epitaph penned by some anonymous Australian on a recently dug German grave. And uh, this is 2nd Lieutenant John Fleming of U-Battery, 16th Brigade Royal Horse Artillery. Some of the graves dotting a battlefield had inscriptions, often macabre, as in the case of one I saw, that of a German killed during an Australian advance. To the man's rifle had been pinned a sheet of cardboard on which was scrawled in chalk, here you lie, brava bosh. Your pals won't bury you. Hindenburg won't bury you. Your, your Kaiser won't bury you. They can't. But the bloody Aussie will bury you because you stink. Yeah, he obviously had British parents, that one. Yeah. Now, as they passed over the disputed battlefields, there seemed to be a proliferation of amusing notices. And this is Lieutenant Colonel William Lowe of the 18th Durham Light Infantry. We like the Durham Light Infantry. Yeah, we do. You've written, written a book recently about the 16th in the Second DLI World War. In the Second yeah. World War. Mm. Uh, it's called Foot Sloggers. Should people wish to get it? Yeah. See what I did there? I think it was so subtle, Gary. No one would have noticed it, but for us endlessly banging on about how subtle it was. Now, this is Lieutenant Colonel William Lowe. 
There were several German dugouts with notice boards directing Zum Unterstand, which means to the dugout. The wits among the transport at once chalked up underneath, and some don't. But so that's in a very serious book. It's in the history of the 18th DLR, which is not a funny book. And yet that's stuck in the middle of it. Now, as the pace of the uh, advance quickened, it was obvious that they were winning. But uh, there were many different reactions to the approach of victory and peace at last. And this is uh, Lance Corporal William Andrews of the 1st 4th Black Watch. No, no, I'm not. Um, (laughs) A frightful gloom began to settle upon us all. I do not think that the men could have carried on much longer if they had not hoped that the the end was near. The imagination seemed to be unable to look further forward than three months. It must be over then. I wrote in my diary, Peace opinions at the front. Front line. Peace at any price for God's sake. Or Christ's sake. Battalion headquarters. Peace soon, too good to be true, if only. Brigade headquarters. Ah, well, we've had enough of this. Division headquarters. Peace? Oh, oh, not yet. We must have another smash at them first. Corps headquarters. No peace, now or ever. Fight, fight on like hell, damn you. The base. Peace, likely, I hope to gold it ain't true. This is good enough for me. It'll suit me for life. And and there's some truth in that, would you not say? Certainly. Uh, there was a, uh, a resentment, shall we say, from frontline soldiers towards those behind the lines yeah. in, in the bases. Bound to be. Bound to be. Now, peace was coming. By when, Gary? When? When? The fighting continued, although on the British front it diminished in fervour after the Battle of the Samba on the 4th of November. Yeah, the, and the, uh, this is common sense and logistical uh, necessity. Our friend uh, Rob, Rob Thompson, used to always point out that we couldn't have done much more at the end of the war. We were, we were uh, well, he used to use a scientific term, didn't he? Do you remember what it was, Gary? Brothers. Yes. Um, this is Lieutenant John Hills of the 5th Leicestershire Regiment. A certain company commander, picking up his box respirator, found that he had thrown it off into a patch of filth. Copious oaths followed, and he vowed that he would murder the next Bosch he saw. Some half hour later, a cyclist patrol met us, escorting one undersized little prisoner, splay-footed and bespectacled. The company were delighted, and with one accord held their commander with cries of, Now's your chance, sir! Oh, God. Now, at last the day comes, sir. What is that day? The 11th of November, 1918. It's the sort of focus of all our hopes and dreams. Uh, but for a lot, it was a dreadful anticlimax. And this is a typical example. This is uh, Gunnar Ivar Hansen. No, no. Ivar Hansen, 311 Brigade, uh, Royal Field Artillery. And he says this. Rumours circulated that an armistice was to be signed at 11am. A mounted officer proceeding up the line had broken the news to one of our men, but we still had our doubts. At about 11am, we were ordered to fall in on the roadside at the farm entrance. We were given the stand at ease and stand easy. Then Lieutenant Cook said to us casually, Well, boys, I'm pleased to inform you that the bloody war is over. And that is just a, a definition of, a, of an anticlimax, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's not big... It's not clever or anything. It's just the end of the war. Um. Now, behind the line, there was more opportunity to celebrate. And Frederick Noakes sums up the ecstatic mood neatly. 
Now, he was a guardsman. We've talked about him in the past. Uh, but at this time, he's in uh, KO camp. I'm not sure, quite sure where that is, but clearly that's all I could be bothered to Is write. it a knockout, that camp? <laughs> <laughs> Get on with the quote, you. Suddenly, through the pandemonium, which always preceded lights out, could be heard the sound of distant cheering, apparently from the far side of the camp. At first, it was greeted with sarcastic laughter and a few ironical counter-cheers, but the sound increased, and presently the throbbing of a drum mingled with the shouting. At that, the noise in the hut was suddenly silenced. Men gazed at each other with eager, questioning eyes. Can it be? was the unspoken query. It is! And with a simultaneous movement, everybody huddled on their clothes and poured out on the parade ground. On all sides, the other huts were disgorging their occupants, and in a few minutes, the huge open space was black with excited men. The rumour and the cheering spread like a conflagration. Germany has surrendered, and the whole eight or ten thousand of us yelled ourselves hoarse. With one accord, the whole throng burst into unanimous song. And what tune have you selected from this song? Take me back. To dear old Blighty, put me on the train for London town. Drop me over there, any blooming where, Birmingham, Leeds or Manchester. Well, I don't care. That was wonderful, wonderful. Backwards and forwards we swayed, arms linked, shouting, cheering and singing. The uproar was indescribable and it never occurred to us to doubt the truth of the rumour. I remember thinking... This is the happiest moment of my life. I must fix it in my memory forever. Lovely, lovely. That's obviously that the night before uh, from the, the, the context. But uh, uh, Would you say that the Great War, was it ever a war to end war? Well, no. No? No. I mean, that was just a catchy slogan, wasn't it? The war to end all wars. But it was a belief that helped men to keep on going in extremis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea that all this dreadful pain and agony is a one-off and that somehow they're, they're fighting for a better future, um, that their children uh, might not have to suffer what they were undergoing. Uh, yeah, I suppose mm. so. What was, what was the uh, gap between the wars? 20 years. What, yeah. Do you think their uh, children suffered? Yes. Mm. Now, fond hopes that would soon be disabused in the post-war years. And uh, this is Lieutenant John Nettleson of the 2nd Rifle Brigade. I vaguely remember him from my uh, my book on 1918. He's quite a miserable sort. He says this, We were told this was the war-to-end war, and some of us at least believed it. It may sound extraordinarily naive, but I think one had to be believe it. All the mud, blood and bestiality... All of that only made sense on the assumption that it was the last time civilized man would ever have to suffer it. I could not believe that anyone who had been through it could ever allow it to happen again. I thought that the ordinary man on both sides would rise up as one and kick any politician in the teeth who even mentioned the possibility of war. Hmm. Well, that's uh, not happening. Now, Sam thought the whole thing was a worldwide outburst of insanity. And this is signaller Sidney Fuller of the 8th Suffolk Regiment. Oh, I've not heard your Suffolk accent for a while. The German prayer book found in the pillbox at Polkapel on the cover, cover mit Jesus in der Felt, and inside a coloured picture of Christ looking with pity on a dead German soldier. The same picture as in our own filled prayer book 
with Jesus in the field. The only appreciable difference being in the uniform of the dead soldier, German in one, khaki in the other. And the feeling experienced on seeing that picture compared with one of our own, that the whole war was a horrible mistake. Yeah, uh, and after it was over, there was a, a great sort of, uh, some of the more thoughtful men, they, they tried to sort of encapsulate their feelings, didn't they? And there was a, an outburst of memoirs, uh, there was the, there was utterly boring pieces, there were songs, there were poems, a great burst of poetry. Uh, what, what, how would you describe the literature of the war? Well, it was incredible. Almost every unit produced a history recounting their war. Some a little more than a war diary, but others bring battalion characters back to life and are full of anecdotes. Yeah, we love them and we we use quite a few of them. Uh, War memoirs all over the place, hundreds of them, thousands of them, whatever you want, uh, recording events from every possible point of view. Uh, And then there were the poets. Yeah, bringing cultured sensibilities to bear on life and death in the trenches. Yet sometimes simplicity seems to pack more punch. And this is Private Frank Pope of the 10th King's Royal Rifle Corps. And we'll we'll do this together. What's this poem called? History of the War. So this will be really, really in-depth and meaningful. Ready, Pete? I am. A trench. A stench. Some Some scraps of French, some horrible German vapours, a shell, a yell, no more to tell, bar a paragraph in the papers. I think we got... That went well. I thought we got it in the end. (laughs) But to return to our overarching theme... What is our overarching theme? That's the character of the British soldier at war. That is what this has all been about. What, the podcasts? The book? Podcasts, the book. What book? Never mind, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do we think the British soldiers unique? No, others have and perhaps will write the stories of soldiers of Germany, France, Russia, America and all the other nations that too many to list. But this work has been devoted to the British Tommy. Yeah, that's the sound. You see, this is our story. And, you know, sometimes you get things. Why aren't we doing the Croatians? Well, because we don't speak Croatian and we're not from Croatia. Uh, we hope that the Croatians are recording their story. We hope that everybody's story is recorded properly. But this is this is the the, the British Tommy, uh, a bit of a cliche sometimes, comic cliche at times. Yeah, but it's often possessed of incredible courage and stamina. And this is Private Edward Loxdale, the Fifteenth London Regiment. That's the Civil Service Rifles, Pete. Now I've got someone in mind as I read this. His one privilege is to grouse. He was ease-loving and pleasure-seeking. Now he submits to the most rigorous discipline. His time is divided between soul-saddening drill and detestable trenches. His amusements are slating the army and straffing the enemy. He anathematises the army wholeheartedly, root and branch from top to bottom, lock, stock and barrel. He criticises its organisation, its methods and all its works. He is irreverent about red hats. That's staff, isn't it? Yeah. He is starved, sweated, insulted, fed up and far from home. He says the army is an ass. And if he had his time all over again... Well, join it again. How do you react to that? Because I am thinking of you. Uh, I you, thought you, you were thinking of Mark Jackson. 
Oh, <laughs> oh your friend say. Mark Jackson. Yeah, my friend Mark Jackson. Uh, red hats are MPs. Of course, Military yeah. police. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was thinking of red tabs, wasn't I? Red tabs, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's an easy mistake. They would join it again. Um, um, so what am I talking about? Well, whatever people may think today, there's little doubt that for the most part, the British soldiers knew why they'd gone to war and they genuinely believed that the Germans had to be stopped. There's much evidence to indicate that they were right as well, because although no country was entirely innocent in those days of imperial ambitions and rapacious capitalism... The Germans were... And they were in France. They were in France, they were in Belgium, Uh, they were aggressive. Uh, I, I think I think we 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 do tread that line carefully. Uh, yes, I mean it's much more complicated than that. But once they were, you know, on the continent, could they be left in control of, of continental Europe? No, no, they couldn't. I don't think they could. Uh, and given the time, it was going to lead to war, and, and it did. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of this massive podcast series. We're uh, last chance to try and sell the book coming up, Gary. Do you, do you think we'll remember? Um, what a final word, final word. Come on, Gary, you're the eloquent one. Well, maybe it's to, uh, to consider that the awful conditions and ho- of horrors of the Western Front gave the soldier little choice but to laugh or cry. <gasps> laugh or You are eloquent. So over the course of these podcasts, we hope that you've join them in their laughter. Perhaps now upon quiet reflection of the reality of what you've heard. You might shed a tear. If you've enjoyed these podcasts, then please do look out for the book. It's published by Pen and Sword and it's available at all good and some bad online book retailers. Do they pay tax always? Not all of them do. And it is available pretty much worldwide, certainly where our listeners are, although I'm not sure that the two in Russia can get it. No, no. Well, bugger them. Oh, well, there's none in Russia now. <laughs> Bye, Russian listeners. Now, uh, do please buy the book. It's cheap as chips. Actually, it's not, but uh, you, you can afford it. Think of me and Gary starving in our garrets, alone and sad. And what? Garrets. That's what? I thought artistic. you said garage. No, garrets is where artistic people... No, I'd rather starve in a garage. Well, I've got a garage. Well, <laughs> Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?